We are The Table, and we are so glad that you have taken time out of your week to join us. Here at The Table, it is our hope to move you forward in life and faith over the course of this message. At The Table, we do things just a bit differently. We pose questions in real time, and we want to give you some time to wrestle with those questions as well. Again, thanks for joining us, and we hope that this message moves you forward. Thanks, Jeannie. I appreciate that. It is good to be back with you once again. And uh, this week, I am uh, especially thankful to be joined by my family. My family wasn't able to make it with me last week, but my beautiful wife, Christy, and my two daughters, Emma and Addie, and my son, Cameron, and you hear him crying. And so uh, you can look over there, and you can see there's a little bit of an age difference My oldest daughter just finished her freshman year at Olivet, and then Cameron is in diapers. So, uh, I, thanks. Uh, I I need all the applause and prayers I can get. Um, So, I, you know, I've already done the math. Uh, I'm going to be 63 years old when he graduates from high school, and so I'm already preparing myself for the grandpa jokes and, you know, all the things that will come with that. Uh, But it's all good. We're having fun. And uh, I'm just glad to be back with you all today. Now, uh, I know I pushed a little bit last week, but nobody asked me not to come back this week, so apparently I didn't offend you too poorly, right? So, so I'm glad I'm be, to be back. Now, if you didn't make it last week, we talked about this idea of gratitude. We talked about this idea of gratitude and that we're all thankful. We're all thankful. We're all grateful. But do we ever take the time to express it? And that Jesus told us, it's an important part of relationships. And I hope you all did your homework that I gave you last week. But if not, there's still time for you to do that. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about, uh, the good news is everything is recorded. And you can go on the table's website and you can watch last week's message as well. And you'll get all caught up and you know exactly what I was talking about. So we asked this question last week. Who do I owe? Who do I owe gratitude to? Who, do, who do I need to express my thanks to, my appreciation? This week, we're going to flip the script a little bit, and we're going to ask the question, who owes me? Who do I believe owes me? And both of these dynamics really play out how our relationships work out on a day-to-day basis. And so let me start off by asking you a question. What makes you angry? What makes you angry? Seriously, I want you to think about this for a moment. I want you to think about it. I mean, what is it when you see it, when you hear it, it instantly makes your blood boil, right? I mean, is it when somebody cuts you off in traffic? Like, oh, what in the And then they turn, right, right before, like they cut you off and then they turn immediately after that. Maybe it's politics, right? Whichever side of the aisle you're on, right, that other side, hmm, what they say, I mean, that really, that really gets me going. How about if you're a parent of a teenager, And you ask them for help to do something around the house and you get an eye roll? Oh, oh, right? That's like instant, instantaneous, right? So today, I want to take a look at what happens in our lives, in our relationships, when we feel like somebody owes us something. And so we're going to take a look at why do we get so angry? Why do we allow anger to come into our lives? And just like I said last week, I think that this is one of those things that, that, that we don't often realize how much it plays into our day-to-day life 
and the relationships that we care about most. But if we can take some time today, over the next few days maybe, and really figure this out and think about it, we can really improve the quality of our relationships with those people that we love the most. Of the enemies that vie for our heart, and there are many enemies that vie for control of our heart, I think anger may be the most dangerous and hurtful to those we love most. But have we ever really thought about what causes our anger? Here's what I've found. When we get angry, behind all the huffing and the puffing and, and, and all of that stuff, there's this basic human experience and emotion that we all feel. We get angry when we don't get what we want, right? And I know that sounds very like, you know, like a, like a child th- way to think, but we operate that way sometimes. We get angry when we don't get what we want, when we're not getting our way. Now, what we want may include what we think we deserve. I mean, who, who doesn't want what they think they deserve, right? I mean, we all want that. Before I felt a call into ministry, I was a public school teacher, and, and I, I loved sports. I played sports all throughout growing up, doing all those things. And when my playing days were over, I wanted to coach. I wanted to stay connected to sports as much as I could. And so I was coaching at some of the younger uh, levels, middle school and some of the lower levels in high school. And there was a varsity position that had come open, and I was already part of the program, and I felt like it was mine for the taking. I was already kind of in line there. I had a great relationship with the athletic director, so that was a good thing. He knew how much I wanted this job. He knew how qualified I was for this position. I had led the teams at the lower levels, and we had a pretty decent track record of success. And so I was already a a teacher in the system, so I felt like for sure I had a leg up on anybody else that would want the position. So I interviewed And I felt like I hit a home run. I mean, I felt like I answered every question well. I spoke with confidence. They knew how much I wanted it. Only to find out a week later that my friend, the athletic director, had offered the position to someone else. Someone who didn't even work at the school. I mean, are you kidding me? Like, what what was that all about? Was this some kind of joke or something? To, To say that I was angry was an understatement. But what did my anger boil down to? Simple fact. I didn't get something that I thought that I deserved. Now, at the time, my anger seemed very justified. I was convinced that I deserved something, but basically, I just didn't get my way. And I was angry. And somebody owed me. They owed me something. They they owed me an explanation. Somebody owed me an apology. I'm not sure what they owed me, but they owed me something is the way that I felt. And I think that there are so many things that happen to us in our lives every single day that give us the right to be angry at someone or something, someone close to us, or maybe even someone that we barely even know. Maybe someone stole something from me the way that I felt like my friend stole an opportunity for me to do something that I really wanted to do, to be a head coach. Maybe someone has slandered your name before right, and, and dragged your name through the mud. Maybe, maybe someone has taken your opportunity for a better life or maybe even just a normal life, and there is resentment there. And when that happens, we experience hurt. We experience pain that somebody owes us something, if nothing else, at least an apology. And so I've learned in 46 years of life 
that all angry people have a story, a story of hurt, a story of pain, something happening in their life. And those stories that we have are real, and they do cause us pain. And we probably do have every right in the world to be angry about it. But here's where it gets a little bit tricky, I believe. See, angry people approach life, they approach love, they approach relationships looking to be paid back for something. Anger says, you owe me. You owe me. Somebody needs to pay for my hurt. Somebody needs to pay for my pain. Somebody needs to pay for my embarrassment. Whatever it may be that's making me feel this way. And even though we have every right to be angry, the question is this, do we really want to stay that way? I hope not. And, and hopefully you're not so angry with me for bringing up this touchy subject that you'll hang with me for a few more minutes. Because I really do believe that what we talk about today can really help us overcome anger in our lives and can help us be better at the relationships that matter to us the most. So, what is the remedy for anger? We all want to know the answer to that question, right? So this may not be easy to hear, but here's the remedy for anger. You ready? Forgiveness. Now, don't throw anything at me yet. Just hear me out. Hang out. Hang with me here for a minute, right? It's forgiveness. Do you want to stop living your life in a state of anger? Looking to be paid back for all the wrongs that have been done, for all the times that I've been hurt? Then we develop a habit of forgiving. Now, I understand that is a whole lot easier said than done. And there seems to be, I think, even some confusion in our culture of what does it even mean exactly to forgive? Because we might know that we should forgive, but maybe we just can't seem to muster up the courage to do so. Or maybe if we forgive, well, that just feels like we're letting our offender off the hook, and that doesn't really feel right either. And at other times, we claim that we have forgiven, and yet old feelings keep coming back, and memories, and we allow ourselves to get angry all over again. Even though Jesus has given us the ultimate example of sacrificial love and forgiveness, what are we to do with our lives when anger keeps showing up again and again? Well, thankfully, the Bible has some things to share on this topic as well. And specifically, the Apostle Paul has some things to share and gives us a little bit of insight. And so we're going to spend a few moments in the book of Ephesians. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Ephesians. We're going to be in chapter 4. If not, the message will be on the screen. Uh, if you're watching online, it'll be at the bottom there as well. But I want us to take a look at a moment. What Paul says in Ephesians, starting in chapter 4, chapter 4 verse 31, and he says this. He says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. So, Paul says, hey, we should get rid of anger. We should get rid of bitterness. We should get rid of rage in our life and so on. But how is that even possible, right? Because when we're angry, like, that's the last thing that we're really thinking about. Well, let's think about it for a moment. The term that Paul uses get rid of in the original Greek means to remove. It means to, to separate yourself. 
Have you ever accidentally walked through a spider web? Like in your basement, in the attic, you know, something like that, right? I mean, I, probably most of us have. It happens to me more often than I would like it to be. I, I run quite a bit in the early mornings at the state park where I live. And spiders work overtime, I've found, at night. And so, like, from one tree to the next, across the path, man, there's just spider webs all the time. And it never fails. Multiple times on my runs, if I go early in the morning, I'll run right through those things. And it's awful. Because then I start flailing like a crazy person because is there a spider on me? I don't know. I don't care. I just want it off. And I'm just rubbing my arms. I'm rubbing my head. Just get it off of me. Right? And the only thing I can hope is I hope nobody's behind me, you know, recording some kind of wildlife and they've got me on camera now to get YouTube hits or something, right? But this is the idea that Paul is talking about. It's the idea he's talking about. That when it comes to anger, get rid of it as fast as you can. Get it away from you, right? And in this passage, Paul also uses the word all, right? And then he goes on to list every relational wedge that he can think of, bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, and just in case he forgot any, he adds, and every form of malice, right? Just in case I didn't mention a couple of them, just anything that could be negative emotion that we're holding on to, regardless of who it's aimed at, Paul says, get rid of it. Now, if I were a total stranger, which I am to many of you, uh, and I walked up to you, and, and I were to say, Hey, you need to get rid of the anger that you have in your life. You need to get rid of the bitterness towards whoever it is that you're holding on to. You might tell me to mind my own business, and that probably would be the G-rated version, would be my guess, right? You might even follow up with, besides, you don't know what my side of the story is. You don't know what they've done to me. And you would probably make a really compelling argument, a really compelling case as to why you have every right in the world to be mad and angry for what has happened to you or what has been taken from you. And I might even be tempted to join you in this crusade for payback because you didn't deserve to be treated that way. And the person who did it certainly didn't deserve to get away with it. And guess what? You're right. Nobody can dispute those facts. Nobody can argue with those things. However, what if Paul is right as well, that we can and should rid ourselves of every form of anger? So let's think about that for a moment. When we allow anger to burn in our hearts, we usually end up hurting the ones that we love the most. Life can get really complicated when, when bitterness and rage and anger become the norm in our lives. But what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do? I mean, anger is just a response to my, my, the, my environment, the people around me, uh, things that seem justified because they're circumstances that I do not have control over. However, over time, we start to believe this lie, that it's okay for me to behave this way, that I have no choice because my behavior is justified based on what others have done to me, and it's perfectly acceptable. But why is it so easy for us to buy into that lie? Well, again, because we have every right to be angry. And it wasn't fair for someone to treat you that way. But the problem is this. 
When we believe that lie, it's really hard to move forward. We end up getting stuck in those moments. And so what did Paul know that we didn't know? Right? What did Paul know? Well, when we read on, Paul doesn't just stop with all the things that we should get rid of. But he talks about ways that we should be proactive. And so Paul says get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, and every form of malice. And then he adds this. He says, be kind and compassionate to forgive one another. Or be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. And so Paul, Paul suggests that we extend kindness and compassion to those who have wronged us. And then he jumps straight to that word, forgiving. And the implication is this. If we are to get rid of bitterness and rage and anger in our life, forgiveness is what enables us to do so. It's what enables us to be kind and compassionate to those people, even when we haven't received kindness and compassion from them. Now, if Paul had put a period right there at the end of forgiving each other, we could probably still fall back to that excuse of how badly we've been treated, how poorly we've been treated, how unfair life is to us. But that's not where Paul stops. He goes on, he says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, and here it is. Here's the kicker. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. Kindness and compassion that can only be fueled by forgiveness, the kind of forgiveness that God has shown each of us through Jesus. So let's just stop here for a moment and let's take a moment to discuss. And I'd like you to take a few minutes to discuss with people around you or journal together or whatever you want to do. But I want you to answer this question. Why is it so hard for us to forgive at times? And are some offenses easier to forgive than others? Why is that? Why is that not the case? So take a few moments, talk with the people around you, and then we'll come back together in just a moment. So let's continue on here. So Paul says, Paul says forgiveness is the key. Forgiveness is the key. But it's not just Paul who says that. But Jesus has some things to say about forgiveness as well. And he would re redefine what forgiveness looks like in a conversation that he has with Peter in Matthew 18. And Peter, who's one of the 12 disciples, but he's not just one of the 12 disciples. I mean, Peter was on the inner circle with Jesus. And, and Peter, if you've ever read any stories about Peter, Peter had some moments in Scripture, some moments that were great, and some moments, let's just say, that weren't so glamorous, right? But one thing I think that can be said about Peter is this, is that I feel like he was always trying to learn, what does it mean to be a fully devoted follower of you? What does it mean to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus? And this time is no different. When, when he has a question and he pulls Jesus aside and he asks this question, he says, Jesus, how many times should I forgive, forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Basically, Peter's asking this. Hey, when's enough enough, right? When's enough enough? When is it all right not to forgive? 
right? And, and I think Peter, when he asks this question, he gives Jesus this answer that he thought there's no way that Jesus could refute this, right? I mean, how about seven times? That seems like more than enough. That seems really fair, right? And as much, I think, as Peter was starting to get it, he still wasn't quite there yet. Because in his question, Peter is still assuming that forgiveness was for the benefit of the offender, like many of us. I mean, like we're, we're willing to, to stretch a little bit, right? We're willing to, to be the nice guy, but we all have our limits, let's be honest, right? We all have our limits. So Jesus, in that moment, I just kind of imagined, he kind of smiled, probably put his hand on Peter's shoulder, pulled him in a little bit, and he says this, hey, Peter, Peter, I tell you what, not seven times, but 77 times. And some translations even say 70 times 7, 490 times, Jesus said. And then Jesus proceeds to tell this story, a parable, to help explain this idea better to Peter, that forgiveness isn't about a certain number of times that we forgive, but forgiveness is so much more than what was thought. And so he tells this story that begins, therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servant. And Jesus begins telling of this servant who owed 10,000 talents. Now, we need to understand what a talent is because we don't spend money, we don't spend talents today. We spend quarters or dollar bills or that kind of thing, right? So a talent, we need to understand what that is. A talent would have equaled about 20 years worth of wages, one talent, 20 years worth of wages. So 10,000 talents, I mean, 10,000 talents, way more than this servant could ever possibly think about repaying. And so that's a pretty hefty debt, and the king was not happy. And so he ordered that the servant's wife and children be sold to help repay the debt. But the servant falls on the floor. He falls on the floor. He begs for mercy. He begs for patience that he would pay back this enormous debt. So the king takes pity on him, and he cancels the debt, and he lets him go. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you ever had a debt canceled? Even a small one, right? It's one of the best feelings in the world. Whether it's 10 bucks or whether it's a, a debt that would take years to pay back, I mean, that's a huge burden that's taken away, and what a freedom it is that I don't owe anybody any longer. So you might be thinking, what does that have to do with anger? Well, remember, whenever somebody hurts us, there's a sense that they've taken something from us, and a debt is incurred, right? And when things like this happen, there's an imbalance. There's an imbalance, and, and we feel like somebody needs to pay. And, and so <clears throat> it's why we say things like, I'm going to get even with them. They're going to they're gonna pay for what they've done to me, right? That's why we say things like that. Until this debt is settled, there is this tension that is happening. And so in this story, Jesus is telling, the king has every right to do and go through with his original plan. On the other hand, the servant does the only thing that he can do at that moment, right? He begs for mercy. He pleads. And we've all done this before, right? We've all done this before. Right? We, we start to bargain with God. God, if you answer this prayer for me, I promise you, I'll never miss another Sunday of church. I'll double my giving. I'll do whatever it takes. Like, we bargain with God too, right? Anything we can think of. 
And the servant does the same thing. He makes this plea that he'll pay back everything that he owes. Now, everyone listening to that story 2,000 years ago would have rolled their eyes when the, when, the, when the servant said, I'll pay you back everything. Because they all knew there's no way he could pay this back. There's no way. The debt is too big. It's an empty promise. And the king knew that it was an empty promise as well. But the king does something that is unusual at the time. And he decides to take pity on the man and he lets him go. He completely cancels the debt. And that is the essence of forgiveness, that it is a decision to cancel a debt. But Jesus doesn't stop the story there. He continues on, that the servant, fresh from having his debt canceled, went out into the city streets. He sees another man who owed him a hundred denarii. Now, remember that this man owed the king what would equate to hundreds, maybe thousands of years worth of, of wages. But a denarii, again, we need to know what that is, would equate to a couple hundred bucks, maybe. A couple hundred bucks. And so he approaches the man who owes him this, and he begins to choke him. And he says, you pay back me what everything that you owe. You pay me back. And the fellow servant falls to his knees and he begins to plead for patience. I'll pay everything back. And all of a sudden, as the listeners are hearing the story, the scene starts to feel very familiar. And we might expect that the, the mercy that was just shown to this other servant, that he too would forgive the debt that had been occurred, right? We might expect him to say something like, hey, hey, hey. No worries, pal. Let's go get lunch. You won't believe what just happened to me. I've got the craziest story to tell you. But that's not what happens. Instead, the man stays enraged. He stays angered. And he has his fellow servant arrested and put into jail until that debt could be paid. Unbelievable, right? Well, other servants see what's going on, Jesus shares. And they're disturbed by this. And so they go and tell the king what has just happened. And the king, you can imagine, is not happy. And he calls the servant back in and listen to what he says. He says, you wicked servant, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And Jesus gives that definition of forgiveness again, that it is a canceled debt. But because the servant wasn't willing to show the same kind of mercy and forgiveness that he had been shown, he was thrown into jail until he could pay the debt. Great story, Jesus. What's the connection, right? What's the connection? Well, it's the last line that Jesus shares that really drives home the point to those who have been listening to the story. And this is what he says. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Ouch. That hurts. That stings a little bit. Because Jesus said we have to get rid of our anger and our bitterness, all of it, anything that we have in our heart against somebody else, even the ones that we have a legitimate case against. And the words of Jesus cannot be any clearer. Forgive them. Now, 
that might be really hard for some of us to hear. That might be really hard for some of us to hear because some of us have been hurt deeply. Some of us have been a victim. And you're saying, I'm the one that needs to take action? You're saying Jesus says, I'm the one that has to be the the first one to take the first step? Here's the point that Jesus was trying to drive home to Peter by telling this story, and the same thing rings true for us today. If we're holding out, waiting to be paid back for all the wrongs that have been done to us, Jesus says it'll be us ultimately that ends up paying in the end. If, on the other hand, we cancel the debts that are owed to us, we will be set free. And all of us want freedom in our life. From our perspective, from our perspective, we have every right to hold out, to wait, to be paid back. After all, they're the ones who hurt us. They're the ones who wronged us. But from God's perspective, it is possibly the most self-destructive thing that we can do in our lives. And there may not be a literal prison for those of us that hold on to bitterness, that hold on to anger, but we can most assuredly put ourselves in a metaphorical prison when we hold on to unforgiveness. And maybe this is why Jesus gave such a stern warning, that if we demand payment from those who have wronged us, it will ultimately be us who ends up paying. Because unresolved anger, unresolved anger, it has impacts that ripple not just our lives, but for generations to come. And if your experience with anger is anything like mine, you know that Jesus' warning is not exaggerated in the least. Refusing to forgive is choosing to self-destruct. And the deeper meaning of that parable probably didn't start to hit Peter until months later when he found himself staring at Jesus on a cross. And those of us who are followers of Christ, we love to tell the story of the cross, right? That Jesus would die for my sins, that he was an innocent man, that he was blameless. But do we realize that the story of the cross, in the story of the cross, our Heavenly Father is asking us to die to ourselves so that we can truly live. And I think Peter started to understand that a little bit more as he watched Jesus suffer and die an innocent man for my sins. And if this was the price of forgiveness, then how could he withhold forgiveness to another person? In God's decision to forgive, it would cost the death of his son. Peter's decision to forgive, my decision to forgive, your decision to forgive, costs us little more than our pride. Now, killing pride oftentimes feels like a physical death sometimes, doesn't it? And forgiveness, that just feels like we're rewarding the enemy. But when we consider Jesus and his death on the cross and his forgiveness, then our forgiveness is merely a gift from one undeserving person to another. Let me say that again. Make sure you hear this. Forgiveness is merely a gift from one undeserving person to another. And it ensures my freedom from the prison of bitterness and resentment. And if you're a follower of Christ, we don't forgive because the other person deserves it. We forgive because we have been forgiven. 
And so forgiveness has to become a way of life for each of us. It has to become a first line of defense in the face of hurt and disappointment in our lives. And this doesn't mean that we'll always feel like forgiving. I don't know that I've ever felt like forgiving somebody who's wronged me. But forgiveness is not a feeling. It is, however, a decision and a choice that we make. So what are some ways that we can begin to process our anger and complete this cycle of forgiveness in our lives? So I want to give you a few things, a few practical things that I think may help you with this. First thing I think we need to do is identify who it is that we're even angry with. And this is important because forgiveness is more than just forgetting about it and moving on. Forgetting is not the same as canceling. We need to make a list. Make a list of the people who have mistreated you in your life. I mean, who do you hope to never see again? If I see them again anytime soon, it'll be too soon. Who do you find yourself having imaginary conversations with? If I saw them right now, I'd tell them how I feel. Like, who, who do you have? Maybe it's family. Maybe it's friends. It's a coworker. Maybe it's an, an ex-spouse, an ex-boyfriend or a girlfriend. Maybe it's somebody who's not even alive anymore. Now, I know this doesn't sound like a whole lot of fun, something that you want to do on a Sunday afternoon, but it is an opportunity to examine your heart for junk that may have been hiding in there for years and is hindering the relationships that you value most. And after you've made that list, try to determine what is it that they owe you? What do they, what do they take from you? You have to be able to answer that question to truly be able to move on. Otherwise, we're just going through the motions. We can all see in vivid detail the ways in which we've been hurt, right? I mean, we can remember the ways that somebody has hurt us and what they've taken from us. And so we have to be specific in what we're forgiving as well. And once we've identified what it is that we're owed, then we have to make the decision to cancel the debt just as Jesus shared with us in this parable. And that means that we decide that those who have offended us, those who have wronged us, no longer owe us anything. We cancel a debt that they owe. That may be a decision that you make in the quiet of your own heart. Maybe you need to do something more tangible, like take that list of names, and after you've went through the process, throw it in the fire and let it burn as a symbolic act. I don't know. But the decision to cancel the debt has to be ours. Finally, after we've canceled the debt, we need to dismiss it and we need to let it go. And this part is not as easy as it sounds, right? I mean, if forgive and forget were so easy, it would be so, so nice. But it's not always that easy, right? Sometimes things happen in our life, they trigger old memories. They drudge up things from our past without a moment's notice in our lives. And when that happens, we might be tempted to take hold of that offense all over again. Or maybe we'll just try to turn those thoughts off. Bury our head in the sand, pretend like it's not even there. And neither are a good thing. We need to face them. When they come up, we need to face them. And it may be emotional, but it's an opportunity to restate your decision. That person doesn't owe me anymore. Now, will there still be times in our life 
where we want to be paid back, where we feel like we are owed something because somebody has wronged us, something they've done to us? I think so. I think without a doubt, there's still going to be times in our life when that happens. But we cannot linger there. We cannot allow ourselves to stay there. And in most cases, what was taken from you is impossible to reimburse. The parable that Jesus shares tells us that clearly. So the best thing that we can do is to cancel it and not allow the wrong to take up residence in your heart any longer. Because when we cling to those debts, we allow the seeds of bitterness and hurt to take root in our hearts and grow. And they grow really fast. And when we do that, we allow the person who has hurt us in the past to continue hurting us over and over and over again. So, how do we get rid of bitterness and rage and resentment, anger? The answer is not easy to hear necessarily, but the answer is forgiveness. And you may need to spend time dealing with some unfinished business of the past. Maybe you've never taken the time to deal with it. You might even need to talk to a professional counselor, whatever you need to do. But in a world where neglect and insensitivity and injustice are more the norm than they are the exception, forgiveness must become a habit in our lives, especially when we consider how much we have been forgiven. And when that happens in your life, you will begin to see the anger decrease and the joy and the relationships in your life flourish and increase. If this message challenged you and moved you forward, personally or in faith, we encourage you to share it with someone who needs a message of hope today. And if you're interested or looking for ways to partner with us in our mission here at the table, head on over to thetablejoliet.org for more information.